0: When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Well, friends, we return today to where we left off last evening. We come to Calvary's Hill, to the the foot of the cross, where we look upon our Saviour, And as we look upon our Savior there, we see the the fulfillment of that which had been agreed for you and for me today, if we are his, in the eternal councils of the Godhead. And as we look, we see a graphic scene. We see Jesus, the Son of God, the God-man nailed to that cross. He's, He's struggling to breathe. His flesh is torn. His body is bruised. And battered. And as we look upon Jesus, we're not alone. We're not alone because of what we hear. We hear those voices mocking and jeering. He saved others, we hear. Let him save himself. Whereas in other places we hear, Hail, King of the Jews. The atmosphere is charged. It's charged with that unjustified contempt and scorn for the one whose sole desire and mission in his love and in his mercy was to open up even to those who were uttering these words of ridicule, that way of salvation, if only they wanted it. And we know that that's what he's doing because although we hear these contemptuous offerings of the crowd polluting, as it were, the air, we hear something else. We hear the voice of Jesus. Yes, he's but a hair's breadth from death, that is true. But Jesus has something to say. And what it is he has to say speaks of what it is he's doing Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's, he's dying for sinners, just like the ones who've accused him and crucified him. Today, as we heard last night, today you will be with me in paradise. He, he's dying for those who, who come to him for mercy, even at the 11th hour. Even the hardened criminal hanging beside him, whose society has written of, whose society has called for the disposal of the life of, and yet here he is offering mercy. But then we hear something else. We see, hear something else coming from the mouth of Jesus. We we hear him asking, hoarsely, no doubt, for a a drink, just enough to to dampen his mouth so that he can utter that one final word. The original tetelestai. Tetelestai. It is finished. But we're going to ask today the question, what exactly was finished? It's true that the sufferings of Jesus were undoubtedly coming to an end. Shortly, there was going to be no more pain, no more anguish. Jesus was no longer going to be to be subjected to the the wickedness that was uh, his at the hands of mankind. That was true, but there was more. There had to be more. If there hadn't been more, the finished work of Christ. Uh, if there hadn't been more rather than the physical sufferings, the finished work of Christ wouldn't be finished at all. The life of Jesus would have been nothing short of a tragic waste of time. But friends, this is important. Jesus was no mere martyr. When we think of the death of Jesus... We often think of his sufferings in terms of his physical sufferings. And we're not downplaying or undermining these physical sufferings in any way. They were horrendous. They were horrific. But he was no mere martyr. Because had this been the case, he would have been no different to, to the thousands of martyrs who have suffered and died, some in a similar way to Jesus, for their faith. Yet Jesus was different You see, when Jesus uttered these words, just as he was about to take his final breath, the greatest mission ever to play out in the history of mankind was accomplished. The requirements of hundreds of years of the ceremonial law that the people were steeped in, finished the need for the, the high priest to go into the most holy place to, to present a lamb without spot and without blemish as a sacrifice for the sins of the people, finished. The necessity of the day of atonement, that's, what's, well, that's why we're here today. This supersedes that, that the day of atonement, finished. So much of what had been central to who the people of God had been and what they had done in terms of all of their religious activity was now finished. But what did that mean? What does it mean for you and for me today? It is finished. Well, in order for something to be finished, friends, is it not true that it has to have started in the first place? And so we might ask, well, what is it that started, that needed to be dealt with, that needed to be finished? Well, in order to answer that question by way of illustration, I want you to take to take you perhaps to what might seem like a strange place, but I want you I want to take you to that wonderful little Christian bookshop in store, I don't know if anyone of you've ever been there, the Christian bookshop on Kenneth Street, a wonderful, little shop. Now, as a congregation in Path, we use that shop re- regularly. We buy the children books at Christmas the, the children in the school. We give P7 leavers a, a Bible when they leave. And so often I'm in that shop, I'm choosing books. And when I choose the books, or whoever it is is choosing the books, goes to the counter. Instead of paying with cash, what we do is we put our order on the account. The lady behind the counter, she takes out a book, she opens it to the page that says Path Free Church at the top, and she starts adding to the list uh, what we're buying, that which is already there, as well as the price. The idea is, of course, that the account will be settled at a later date. And you know, in a strange way, we see a picture in this of what we have here before us. In these words, it is finished. Because as I said, for something to be finished, it had to have begun in the first place. And you know, the account in the Christian bookshop, it illustrates that in this life, every man, woman, boy and girl, we all have our own account. And ever since the day we were conceived the book, if you like, it's been opened. And since that very day, on, on the page that has our name at the very top of it, what's happened is that each and every sin we have ever committed has been added to that page. Imagine. Imagine the number of sins. Imagine the number of pages. Imagine the number of volumes of books that would be needed to record your sins and mine. Now, there of course comes a time when the account needs to be settled, when payment for our sins need to be made. But there's a problem, and the problem is that by nature we don't have the correct currency to make that payment. We might have ideas as to how we can make that payment so that we're right with God. We often offer, do we not, that currency of good works, If I'm a good neighbor, if I give to charity, if I do this, that, and the next thing, all good things, I'll be right with God then. That my sins will be dealt with. But God says, no, it's not valid. And in Daniel 5.27, we're reminded of this when we read that, We're weighed in the balances, no matter what we try to offer in and of ourselves to be right with God. We're weighed in the balances and we're still found wanting. And so as those who who cannot pay the price of our own sin, what happens is we then find ourselves in court. We find ourselves in court at the bar of the divine justice of God himself. And as we look around this courtroom, as we survey this scene, we see that God is a judge and you and I, we are on trial. How do we plead our case? Well, of course, that depends. It depends, does it not, on whether or not we have a suitable defense lawyer. Or whether we come before God at the bar of his divine justice and we try and plead our own case, representing Ourselves. It all depends on that. Friends, if we're in Christ today, and this is the wonder of the gospel, if we're in Christ today, the reality is we're not alone in that courtroom. We're not there representing ourselves. Instead, we have that representation. 1 John 2 calls it, or calls him rather, an advocate, specifically. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What does it mean to have an advocate? Well, that word literally means to to come alongside. And in Greek law, if you were accused of a crime, what you would do is you, you would bring your best friend along with you to be your lawyer, to be your advocate And so the fact that your friend was appearing with you and speaking for you would be proof that they were a true friend, a genuine friend. Today, in this courtroom, if we're Christ's, we have an advocate with the Father. And so in layman's terms, we we have a lawyer, we have Jesus Christ the righteous pleading our case at the bar of God's divine justice and more than that he's not just our lawyer he's our friend he's a friend of sinners that sticks closer than a brother but what does he say in our defense what does he say well does he say so and so has done this that and the next thing and list all the good deeds that we've ever done in our life and then offer those to the father of course he doesn't we touched on this last evening, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, a graphic uh, symbol, a, a graphic um, picture, rather, they are soiled garments. That's what they are in the eyes of God. And so the reality is, there, are, there is no defense, there are no words that can ever appease God as divine judge in terms of what we've done. So are we a lost cause? Well, no, we're not. And again, 1 John 2. Because there we read, he himself is the propitiation for our sin. Now, that's not a word we use very often, but it's a word that's full of meaning. Propitiation literally means to appease. If you've ever hurt someone, which I'm sure you have, we all have at some time. If we've we've angered someone, we've maybe regretted it, we've, we've done something wrong, we've known that we've done something wrong, and in order to restore that relationship, what we might have done is given a peace offering, a gift offering to appease that person, even if it's just in the form of a sincere apology. And when we do that, uh, usually, hopefully, ourselves and that person, we are, we are reconciled. Now, by nature, we're estranged from God, and we're estranged from him because we're sinners. That's why we're in this this courtroom. But yet the reality is, the glorious reality is, that Jesus is our advocate, but he's also our propitiation, our greatest gift offering. And as a gift offering, what he does is he appeases the wrath of God, the one who died so that we might live. How did he do it? Samuel Rutherford put it like this, the saviour suffered in his soul God's wrath, which was a very hell to Christ. Suffering that was sealed by those words. It is finished. Tetelestai. And make no mistake, thence this was no cry of defeat. Jesus was, was no, not uttering uh, these words, it is finished. You, you've got me now, I I give up, you win. That's not what this was. This was and is a cry of victory. So that in this courtroom, with Christ representing us at the bar of God's divine justice, with all our uh, accounts laid bare, with volume and volume open of our sins, yours and mine, Christ in our defence only has one word to say, Tetelestai, it is finished. This is a, a word that was used by the Greeks for financial transactions. It, it meant that the purchase, and it's a really vivid picture, that the purchase had been made, that, that no debts were outstanding and that no further payments were required. And so when Jesus says, Tetelestai, it is finished, He's intimating the fact that he was paying the price in full. By dying for us, by offering himself as a a sinless sacrifice, he was effectively buying back our freedom by paying sin's price. That's why we're here today. Now you might be wondering at this point, well, in one sense it's perhaps a strange utterance to be making at this point. It is finished. He's not he's not died yet, he's not been resurrected, which of course are crucial to the whole redemptive narrative. So how can it be finished? Well, what we see here is that he'd reached the lowest point of the whole act of redemption. He'd plumbed the depths of suffering, he'd plumbed them the lowest of the low suffering as we hear intensively what we ought to have suffered extensively and just remember this he was forsaken by the father listen to his language my god my god why have you forsaken me that's what he's crying out That's the wrath of God that should have been unleashed on you and me if we're his today was instead unleashed upon him as the sin bearer. My God, that awful moment, the only moment when Jesus could not call God Father. But now that had passed, it was finished. And even now, as he prepares for death, he's once again able to take upon his lips, as we read in Luke 23, 46, those words of intimate communion when he cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The sufferings of Christ had reached their climax. They were sufficient. Divine justice was satisfied George Smeaton notes that the curse of death was exhausted and sin annihilated. Now heaven and earth were reunited. God and man were at one again. This was the cry, of course, that humanity had been waiting for since the fall of of Adam, a cry that demonstrated the, the divine certainty in accomplishing redemption, a, a redemption that is applied to you and to me today, if we're His. And so, friends, shortly we come to the Lord's table. We remind ourselves that it is finished. Why? Because it is finished, it's all been done. A statement that the very essence of existence as Christians is founded in, that our eternal security in Jesus rests in. So that today, and I close the section with these words, today we can say with a hymn writer, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood, Hallelujah, what a saviour. Lifted up he was to die, it is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high, hallelujah, what a saviour. When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring, then anew his song will sing, hallelujah, what a saviour. Let's pray. Hallelujah, what a Savior. We thank you that you are the Savior of sinners and that you did cry out those glorious words. It is finished so that nothing in our hands do we bring. Simply to thy cross we cling. Reveal yourself afresh to us, we pray today something of the wonder and the magnitude of this sacrificial act of love, that we would see Jesus and that we would worship. We pray now that you would bless us and keep us and forgive us. In your name we ask. Amen.